This morning we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Uh, so I'm just going to read that for us this morning. We're just going to jump right in here. Um, I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT, so you can follow along as I read. But this is our text, Mark, Mark 8, 22 to 25. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Then Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said. I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his man's, I'm sorry, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and as the man looked intently, his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Here's a question you probably don't get asked very often. Have you ever wondered why a pigeon walks so funny? How many know the answer to this question? I didn't know this. I, one. I, so I've come to find out, thank you, Tanya, that a pigeon cannot focus. A pigeon has such poor vision, it cannot focus unless, it, unless its head is perfectly still. So every time, the reason a pigeon walks so funny and so goofily is it has to literally stop its head completely in order to refocus on where it's going. Connect those dots spiritually. I'm going to make the argument this morning that we're kind of like the pigeon when it comes to our spiritual focus, when it comes to our spiritual vision. Um, I think sometimes we need to stop and, 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 and refocus in our spiritual walk with Christ, um, we have a hard time seeing sometimes while we're moving forward. If we, if we just think about the pace of our lives today, 100 miles an hour for most of us, we're going in so many different directions. When do we have time? I love, I love how, how Tanya took time to just talk about the calm, the song that we sang, the calm. We just need to stop and pause and take a deep breath and just rest and relax in, in the presence of God because the pace of life is so fast. But just like the pigeon, we need to stop between steps in order to refocus on where we are in relation to the world and, and the will of God for our lives, his plan for us. Now, now that's not to stop, not, that's not to say we have to stop and think and pray and meditate about every single little decision in life, uh, but I think it does mean that our spiritual journey needs to have built into it a pattern of stops if you will, which will enable us to see more clearly before moving ahead. So, so let's look at this passage a little bit more closely. So, so we see a man, um, a man that was blind receiving his sight from Jesus. Now this particular miracle is only found in, in, in Mark's gospel, and there's a few interesting uh, elements to it here that I want to point out. Um, the first thing that we see is that there was personal contact. Verse 23 says, Jesus took the man by the hand. There's personal contact from Jesus uh, also that he laid hands on him, a second touch of Jesus, also uh, important to note, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I, I just want to point out that if you look at all the miracle healings of Jesus throughout the Gospels, you will never find that Jesus duplicated the specific method of healing twice or more than once. He never used the exact same method for healing um, in any of his uh, 
healing miracles. And, and I think the, the, the point about that is that Jesus doesn't want us to focus on the method. It's not the method, it's the healer. <laughs> it's the one who does the healing that we focus on, not on a particular method of how he chooses to heal. But Jesus is fully aware, Jesus is fully aware that the man, after his first contact, his first touch, is not completely healed. He, he, he knows he has not, not yet fully restored his sight. He asks the question, can you see anything now? Before, can you hear me now? Can you see anything now? Why, I don't have an answer to this question, why would Jesus, he spits on the man's eyes, kind of disgusting in and of itself, but he spits on the man's eyes and he knows he's not fully, his sight is not fully restored yet. Why would Jesus ask him, can you see anything now? He knows the answer to that question. So I, I, I just wonder, I've, I've studied this passage for the past two weeks, I, I didn't get a good answer from any of the commentaries. Why would Jesus ask that question? I think the best um, answer I can come up with is, I, I just wonder if he was testing this man's faith. Where's your faith? Do you believe that I can do this for you? Do you believe that I am who I say that I am? I, I just wonder if he's kind of trying to figure out where's this man uh, in terms of his faith in Jesus. Does he have faith and believe that Jesus is able to do this for him? As you know, the man uh, looks around and says, I see people that look like trees walking around. So the fact that he can describe trees, or at least mention trees, tells us that he, he must have been able to see at some point in his life. He, know, he knows what a tree looks like. So we can assume that he uh, has not been blind since birth. So probably somewhere along the line, um, he began to slowly lose his vision until he was blind completely because, he, again, he remembers what trees um, look like. You know, another unique thing about this story is, is, is that it consisted in two parts or, or two stages. After the first healing act, uh, the man sees people indistinctly, as, as he describes, walking trees. Um, so he could distinguish people, people from trees only by the fact that there's motion, that they're moving. So that's how he knows it's a person and not a tree. Again, maybe before he lost his sight completely, it may be, uh, had, maybe it was the case that uh, people he saw looked like trees to him, and maybe um, people had become like objects or shadows moving about before he lost his vision completely. And now that he is regaining his sight again, again, after the first touch of Jesus, he's not full, his sight is not fully yet restored, but maybe things are coming back into focus slowly for him. Um, and maybe he sees people in that same form. Then we get to verse 25. Jesus placed his hands over, the eye, over his eyes again, a second time. And as the man stared intently, his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. You know, sometimes I wonder if we, like the blind man, need a second touch of Jesus in order uh, to see clearly. The blind man looked at men and saw trees, then he looked at Jesus, and he saw clearly. And it says, at least in the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says that he looked intently. He looked intently at Jesus. So that implies he's using some kind of effort, straining to focus on Jesus. And when he does that, when he looks intently at Jesus, then his sight is fully restored. Again, an easy connect the dots spiritually. When we look intently at Jesus, our spiritual vision 
is, is restored and is clear. Maybe it takes a little bit more effort on our part sometimes to look intently into what God is wanting for us to see. You know, many Bible scholars feel uh, that this story illustrates the relationship of Jesus to, to the disciples. Uh, as we know, the disciples saw very little or maybe understood very little, but, it, but again, that was more than others who saw or understood nothing at all. Um, that what was revealed to them, the disciples, while Jesus was alive would really come to pale in comparison to what they would understand after um, Jesus' resurrection. And that was probably due to their lack of focus. Sometimes we're guilty of a lack of focus. Excuse me, I need to cough. To Connecticut, I apologize. It's been a rough spring. Um, sometimes the disciples were guilty of a lack of focus, and for us, sometimes we're guilty of that as well. We, we go along thinking we see something clearly, we understand a situation perfectly, and we come to realize we, we were very wrong about that. We totally misunderstood something, and again, it's because uh, our focus was off. We had a lack of focus. So I warned you I was going to talk about vision, so here we go. Back when contact lenses were, were still a novelty, uh, a woman uh, was, was pulled over by, by the police, and so he comes to the side of her car and, and asks, asks her for her license, and, and he sees on, on her driver's license, he says, ma'am, it says here on your driver's license that you're, you're required um, to wear glasses to drive. And she says, oh, that's okay, officer, I have contacts. And the officer says, well, I don't care who you know, you still have to wear your glasses. <laughs> Didn't quite connect those dots. Um, contact lenses. Many people today, glasses, contact lenses, laser eye surgery, whatever it takes to correct our physical vision, right? And it seems to be, I mean, in our country, we've spent millions and millions of dollars a year um, on improving our physical vision. And it works, right? We see a whole lot better when, when, when we do that. My reading glasses help me to see a whole lot better when I put them on and when I use them. Um, when we have vision problems, we go to the optometrist. He sits us down. He gives us a few tests. One of those is the old-fashioned uh, chart test. You know, you cover one eye, read this, the, the smallest numbers on the line, A, F, D, R, and is that a dollar sign? Is that, is that, are those in there now? Um, that was me. Um, and that determines how good our vision is, right? If we can read the smallest numbers uh, across a line. Maybe we can think of this passage um, as one that says God is in the corrective vision business. Really, God is in the eye-opening business, right? Uh, when God fully opens our eyes, we begin to see things clearly. It's been said that God is usually doing more behind our backs than in front of our faces, and that things are not always what they appear to be. So let me ask you, let me ask all of us the question this morning, how is your spiritual eyesight? How is your spiritual eyesight? Is it dim? Is it hazy? Is it farsighted? Is it nearsighted? Or is your focus clear? Is your spiritual focus clear this morning? Let me read verse 25 again. Then Jesus placed his hands over the man's eyes again, and as the man stared intently, his sight was completely restored, and he could see everything, everything clearly. Excuse me. Notice that it was his focus on people, that was not completely clear. 
this focus on people wasn't completely clear. Again, spiritually speaking, is our focus on others as clear as it should be? Do we understand as a church that our, our job is to focus on others, to love others, to serve others in order to reach others? Is that focus clear for the church today? Sometimes I wonder if that focus um, is misplaced somewhat. I'm not sure that our vision of people, of loving, serving, and reaching other people is always 100% clear. It might be misplaced. You know, you can really get yourself into trouble when you have a misplaced focus. Misplaced focus can really lead to problems. So a woman goes into a pet store and buys a parrot because she's Lonely, she lives alone, she wants to have a companion, somebody to talk to. So she buys a parrot, and the pet store owner sends her home with a, with a ladder to put it in, in, in the parrot's cage, and, and um, he tells her, yeah, when that parrot's climbing up and down, down on that ladder, he'll, he'll become talkative and he'll talk to you. Well, a week goes by, and no bird from the word. Parrot is not talking, so she goes back, Hey, my, my, my parrot's not talking. What's going on? He says, you know what? Buy a mirror. Put a mirror in his cage. When he sees his reflection, he'll think it's another bird in there, and he'll start talking. Also, she buys a mirror, and still no, no word from the bird. Um, goes back a week later. My parrot is still not talking. What, what can I do? You know what? The pet store, owner, pet store owner says, you need to buy a swing. Put a swing in his cage. When he starts swinging, he'll be having so much fun, he'll start talking up a storm. So she buys a swing, puts it in his cage. Again, a week goes by. The bird does not say a single word. Finally, she comes back into the, the pet store once again, and the owner can tell she is, is visibly upset. Something is very wrong. And she says, my, my, my parrot has died. And the pet store owner says, oh my goodness, I am so sorry. I, I, I feel so terrible. Tell me, did, did the bird ever say anything before he died? She said, yeah. Right before he died, in a very weak voice, he said, don't they sell any food at that pet store? <laughs> Sometimes a misplaced focus can really get us in trouble. <clears throat> Again, we're talking about uh, spiritual eyesight, spiritual focus, um, our focus on others, on, on uh, reaching and loving and serving others. Um, sometimes we can get into trouble if our focus is misplaced. Uh, one, one, of the, one of the authors, uh, I'm sorry, one of the, the Bible scholars that, that I read a little bit about this passage uh, from the past couple of weeks is a guy by the name of John Pierce. And he talks about the difference between um, inward-focused people and churches versus outward focused people and churches and I thought he had some interesting things to say about that and I just want to highlight a few of those before we wrap up here this morning uh, he says that inward focused people have to point out their accomplishments and their talents and then he kind of counters that by quoting Philippians 2 3 which says don't be selfish don't live to make a good impression on others but be humble thinking of others as better than yourself he also writes, inward-focused people focus on the outward struggles of others. Inward-focused people enjoy proclaiming their wisdom and professing false humility. And again, he counters that with James 3, verse 14, which says, if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your hearts, don't brag about being wise, for that is the worst kind of lie. Finally, uh, 
regarding inwardly focused people. He says, inward focused people stir up problems all around them. And again, counters that with James 3.16. Wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. So the bottom line is that inward focused people do things that push others away. Inward focused churches do things that push others away. So what about outwardly focused people? Pierce says that outwardly focused people have a larger view of their world. And he backs that up with John eleven fifty two. 52. It was a prediction that Jesus' death would not be, feel, not be for Israel only, but for the gathering together of all the children of God scattered around the world. Pierce also says outward focused people realize that others must see their lives changed by Christ. Um, John 10, 16 says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold, the words of Jesus. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And the bottom line for outward focused people is that outward focused people do things that bring others together through love. And outward focused churches do things that bring others together through love. So how is your spiritual focus today? Is it clear? Is it misplaced? Is it inwardly focused or outwardly focused? As we close this morning, we're going to gather at the table once again. And as we come to the table, let us receive the grace of God in order to strengthen us to have a clear spiritual focus on loving and serving and reaching others as together we seek him and serve him. I'd like to invite those who are going to assist uh, this morning to come to the front. I'm just gonna invite you now uh, the, the three servers who are going to help me, just please come to the table and grab uh, one cup and one uh, plate of bread and take your spots. And I just want to give you uh, a word of instruction, congregation. So in the, in the Church of the Nazarene, we practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of our church. If you, it is open for all, for all members of any churches anywhere um, Jesus died for all, not just for some. Jesus died for all. The grace of God is extended to all, okay, not just to some. So if you desire to follow Jesus this morning and you want to receive grace to help you do that, you are invited and encouraged to come. Ideally, everybody in this room would receive communion this morning saying, you know what, I want to follow God and I need grace to help me do that. So we practice open communion. You don't have to be a member here. You are welcome to come and receive. And so we, we are observing the mode of intinction, which simply means you come forward, you take a piece of bread, you dip it in the juice and eat it right there in front of the server. Okay, you don't need to take the elements back to your seat with you. Come forward, grab a piece of bread, dip it, eat it, and then return to your seat. So if you could exit your pews by the outside aisles and then return by the inside aisles, that should prevent any bottlenecks. We should be good. So let me read the ritual for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. If I can find it. And again, I need my glasses. It's gotten to that point. The Lord himself has ordained this holy sacrament. He commanded his disciples to partake of the bread and wine 
emblems of his broken body and shed blood. This is his table. The feast is for his disciples. Let all those who have with true repentance forsaken their sins and have believed in Christ unto salvation draw near and take these emblems and by faith partake of the life of Jesus Christ to your soul's comfort and joy. Let us remember that this is the memorial of the death and passion of our Lord and also a token of his coming again. Let us not forget that we are one at one table with the Lord. We are reminded that in the same night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we come before you this morning in true humility and faith, and as we partake of these elements, this holy sacrament, would you strengthen us encourage us and prepare us to love and serve you in such a way that honors you and may encourage and inspire others to do the same. Father, we pray this now in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Would you stand to receive the benediction this morning? May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, put you together, spirit and soul, body and mind, and make you fit for the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. Go in his strength and in his grace today. God bless you. You are dismissed.